Amidst a COVID-19 pandemic and local state of emergency, Calgary police are on high alert, busy making sure our city remains safe. It's the perfect time to do our monthly check-in with Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. Good morning, Chief. Good morning, Sue. Thanks so much for joining us. I know busy times for you and your officers, no doubt. Do you do things differently as officers, as a force right now? Oh, for sure. This is fairly unprecedented for us, too. You know, we have uh, plans in place to deal with things like this, but I don't know that, you know, anybody's professing right now to have uh, seen anything like this. Um, So, yeah, it is impacting our operations pretty significantly. And when you talk about the Calgary Police Service, I would think that, you know, uh, as a a subsector of the city of Calgary, one of the biggest employers, is it 1,600 employees you you folks have? Actually, closer to 3,000, Andrew. 3,000? Yeah. Wow. So you have to disseminate the info and you have to make sure that people have space to work. Is that a challenge? You, do you find new real estate or are you guys mm-hmm. working in rotation? Well, you know what? It's uh, one of those things where we've actually created some real estate in some senses. As you know, uh, like the city of Calgary and other employers now, to increase the social distancing, we've uh, implemented some uh, telework and working from home uh, type scenarios. Um, certainly that's for our non-frontline staff. And what that's done is actually opened up some real estate, as you say, inside some of our buildings, which allows us then to spread spread out the people that do need to be uh, physically at work. And Chief, what about the officers on the streets? Did they make adjustments in how they're dealing with people? Yeah, for sure. So we've made adjustments, uh, Sue, and we continue to do so. Uh, one of the things right now that's that's really critical is, and, and you said it, is the police service is just a subset of, uh, of the broader... Uh, um, the city itself, here. yeah. Yeah, and so basically, you know, if we talk about the number of people who, who could end up being impacted by this, that will, will manifest internally too. So certainly uh, we want to keep the numbers as low as we can so that we can keep our people healthy. That's our priority there now because that is going to impact um, our ability to continue to deliver services. So what we're doing is looking at virtually everything we do um, in, in, uh, and how we're delivering the services. You know, I'll give you an example. As a police service, we, we obviously value the face-to-face contact we have with the public. That's very very important. But suddenly and almost ironically in this environment, we've got to find ways to almost engineer that out so we can actually deliver services at, at a distance and keep that social isolation that we're talking about, our social distancing. Have you talked to the frontline officers about uh, maybe the different mindset of Calgarians? Because like you say, first for the Calgary Police Service, first for residents, some people are stressed out and uh, might be uh, you know, feeling a little different than they did even two weeks ago. Oh, I think so. You know, I, I think everybody, uh, and you know, you guys have felt it, and so have I. You know, when you're in in your uh, family situation, everybody's actually adjusting uh, from their routines and habits that they had in terms of the things that the healthy things they did, whether it was going to the gym or whatever. The routines that you have that uh, were established, and folks are really having to have a look at those and having to uh, make forced change to that. And so, yeah, it's a it's a time when uh, people are doing that. You know, for the most part, we've seen lots of people out uh, on the paths and walking in their neighborhoods, which is good. Uh, you know, at the other side of that, we've seen some of the behaviors around, you know, the hoarding of resources and whatever. So we've seen both ends of the spectrum, but I, but I think uh, day by day people are working through this. Chief, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the latest murder in the city of Calgary, a 56-year-old man last weekend. Big blow to the city, chef, businessman, just trying to protect his new cafe. Can you give us a rundown on that case and, and if you have any leads perhaps? Yeah, it was a big blow to the city, Sue, you're right. Uh, that's one of those senseless tragedies that happens uh, where you, don't, you you stand back and just think like, wow. Um, so yeah, that's a situation there where it appears that um, the gentleman actually responded to a break and enter to his cafe, as you mentioned there, uh, in the middle of the night. Um, when he got there, police did respond to that, actually, and cleared uh, the uh, building and made sure, made sure that it was safe. Um, the gentleman waited behind there to, you know, for services to come and uh, help uh, make things secure. 
And it appears that the offenders actually returned and, wow. and, and the, um, the intended uh, target wasn't so much, it looks like now, you know, his cafe, it looks like it was the cannabis uh, retail outlet that was uh, located close by. And uh, it looks like there was some sort of an, an interaction that occurred there. And he, uh, he was actually injured and killed. Chief, was there any cameras uh, operating, I would think, with a cannabis uh, business nearby? Were there any in, in the strip mall? Yeah, we have a number of leads in relation to that. And, and you'll know as well that we put out a call for um, assistance in locating the uh, victim's vehicle. Um, now, that's, that's been located since that time, so we have some leads in relation to that. The other thing is that particular cannabis store was uh, targeted previously um, within the last uh, uh, not-too-recent um, past. And so we're actually exploring uh, those recent uh, events to see if there's any connections between this most recent incident and also uh, those previous ones. Well, sure hoping your officers are able to track down the people responsible for that. And, and on that note, uh, are you seeing any sort of shift in, in crime in relation to liquor stores or the marijuana shops right now as people are a little more highly stressed in this situation we're in right now? No, it's a good question. We haven't yet. Um, certainly, we have uh, robust data around this sort of thing. So we haven't actually seen an increase in the number of calls to police, and we haven't actually seen any spikes in uh, in particular areas of crime. But we are watching for that, and, and we're actually having our, um, our uh, district folks just think about where the changes might be. Uh, you know, if you think about the fact that now a lot of people are at home with uh, businesses closed and self-isolation and working from home, you know, I, I would expect to see reductions in things like uh, residential break-and-enters, but there may be spikes in other areas and mm-hmm. so depending on uh, the, the sort of the geography and what t- type of um, businesses are in each of the districts I think we can sort of predict where some of the vulnerabilities might be and get out in front of that. The, the tragic event over the weekend a reminder that crime isn't stopped by a pandemic but maybe this is a good time to refresh uh, people's uh, knowledge of when they should be calling 911, mm-hmm. when they should be calling the non-emergency line and, and when they simply shouldn't be calling police. Yeah, you're right. I think that would be helpful. I saw a tweet this morning from uh, one of our officers talking about uh, receiving a call last night from somebody who felt they might have uh, coronavirus and demanding to speak to the police to find out how to be tested. Uh, so that's not helpful. <laughs> that's not when you call 911. Uh, that would be 811. Uh, but certainly, uh, like I say, this is an important time for people to be keeping an eye open in their neighborhoods and that sort of thing. And if there are things that uh, they think they need the police for and it's an emergency, um, yeah, absolutely call 911. But there's many other... Uh, um, avenues for information, and, and those have been working actually quite well, and I think there's a lot of information out there, particularly as it relates to coronavirus, um, and so those aren't the place to be making those calls for sure. Um, that's more of a health-related uh, uh, event, so I think uh, I think most folks know. I think some of these are, you know, um, uh, one-offs, or uh, probably not one-offs, but they're not as, they're not as um, mm-hmm. frequent as you might uh, think, but certainly right now, while, uh, while the demands are high and the anxiety, and the anxiety is high, uh, it would be helpful if people used 911 for emergencies only. Most definitely. We're grateful for you joining us this morning and for all your frontline officers that uh, keep us safe. Thanks for joining us, Chief. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Uh, you too. We'll talk to you soon. You bet. That's Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. If it's an emergency, call 911. Mm-hmm. If it's a police matter but not an emergency, it's 266 1234. Mm-hmm. All other health questions. 811. You got it. Let's keep the don't misdial those numbers. No, do not do that. And it, let's see, you know, we'll hope that the officers can keep things under control for all of us. Uh, certainly a high stress time for a lot yeah, of people, high different. anxiety time for everybody. So let's uh, just continue to work together and be the great city that we know we are.
8.12 now on your Wednesday morning. And boy, times were tough for many businesses before COVID-19, but it's an even more difficult go now. So how is the real estate industry faring? Joining us to talk about it is Calgary Realtor Justin Haver. Hi, Justin. Hi, Sue and Andrew. How are you guys this morning? Great. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it must be a tough time right now. I imagine home sales, not a big priority for a lot of people right now, unfortunately. Oh, you know what? I think we're all in this together and we've all been hit with a, a big pause button. Um, obviously, uh, every business uh, around the world and in Calgary, Canada, have been impacted by, uh, by this virus. How do you change the game up a bit, Justin? Because within your business, you're, you're very much a, a people person. You have open houses and showing uh, showings. How, how has that been adapted over the past uh, 10 days or so? You know, what we've really done is uh, started to apply technology. Um, obviously, there are less people looking and less people that are selling their home. A lot of them are uh, basically putting things on hold for the time being, although there are a few people that are still moving forward with the sale of their home and purchasing. And what we're doing is we're not doing any open houses uh, because that is uh, obviously with concern of the virus, but what we are using is technology like FaceTime, offering to obviously tour the homes uh, using that technology. Uh, you know, when we do show a house, we obviously don't touch anything in the household, countertops, light switches. We just have the utmost highest awareness of, uh, you know, following the guidelines that's set out by the government. Mm-hmm. Smart to be using technology. That's one of those ways to, to get the word out there for sure. Justin, we're seeing, you know, Canadian home sales jumping year over year, but that those stats probably are slowing down across the country. But how are we doing here in Calgary and in Alberta? Have you seen statistics as of late? You know what? Uh, I was looking at the stats uh, this morning and we haven't really been impacted much at all. Actually, if you compare our sales this year compared to last year, our sales are actually up. Uh, Now, what I am seeing is that showing activity on listings that we currently carry have slowed down drastically. And I think just as... You know, this moves on as we go through this process. We're going to kind of start to see everything really slow down for the time being. Um, you know, we're all in this together. We really don't know when things are going to ramp up again. But, uh, you know, it's it's a new reality for all of us. And, uh, yeah, it's going to come to a crawl here. Justin, if I'm uh, going to sell, if I have to sell and have to move right now, or, or for that matter, want to move, and I want to put my house up. What are you telling people? Should they, should they put it off or is it good to get in touch with your favorite realtor and get the, the process started? Is this a good chance to, to get a head start and make things the best they can be? You know, I mean, you always got to look at if you're selling a product, selling a house, condo, um, you got to look at the demand out there. And obviously right now the demand is really low because of the circumstances we're under. So one of the things that... Uh, we are recommending to our clients is that you know we will put them onto our comingsoon.ca program that's exclusive to Justin Howard Associates, where we can do some of that pre-marketing for probably about 30 days at the moment to you know kind of build up some interest, and then once we're kind of back to somewhat of a normal life, we can then you know market that listing to the public. Um, you know we got to do this smart. We got to obviously. I think that. If somebody does put their house up for sale right now, 
uh, the very few buyers that are out there are ones that are looking for a great opportunity and taking advantage of a great opportunity. And we are seeing that happening right now. That's what I wanted to ask you about. I mean, you hate to take advantage in a time like this, but if you are looking for, you know, if you really were in the market to, to buy a new home, maybe this is the time to start checking that out. Oh, you know, most definitely. Um you know, the few buyers that are buying right now, they're saying exactly that. Mm-hmm. They're saying, you know what, we we need to purchase a home. We see this as a great opportunity. You can probably negotiate a lot better right now than you could, uh, you know, before this uh, virus came into effect here in, in Calgary. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it is a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. However, um, you know, you got you to gotta do as you what's best for your family. Right. Well, of course, uh, you know, all the best to you. I know that you guys are always busy behind the scenes, uh, keeping clients happy and doing what you can because nobody wants to sit still. Thanks, Justin. Oh, thank you again for having me on here today. That's a realtor, Justin Haver. And I want to mention comingsoon.ca is the website that he mentioned where you can look at potential homes down the line. Like if a that sneak is preview. Something, right. So if you're, if you're putting a hold or a pause on things right now, that's something you can check out uh, for the future. Justin Haver is a local re- realtor, of course, here in Calgary. A majority of people around the world want their borders closed as fear about COVID-19 escalates. Joining us to break down the numbers from a new Ipsos poll is Ipsos CEO Daryl Bricker. Good morning. Good morning, Daryl. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. I don't think this is terribly surprising. Can you tell us what you saw uh, from Canadians, but also from some of the other countries too? Well, just about 60% of us want to see the uh, our, our borders closed to people, um, basically to prevent the spreading of, uh, of COVID-19. But that's a consistent opinion around the world. And I, I think you're now starting to see governments figure that out, that they have a lot of public support for moving aggressively on border controls. And in fact, the European Union has, uh, has now announced that they're going to be closing their, their borders to uh, non-nationals, non-EU citizens uh, for the next, I think it's uh, 30 days. Mm. So um, this, this is one of those actions in which there's broad public support. I understand, you know, where the epicenter of the disease started. Uh, We're talking about uh, Asia-Pacific region. Those numbers are very high in the sense that uh, they were there first. Yeah, what we tend to find on this is that uh, the closer you are to a hotspot, uh, the more aggressive you are about what uh, you want the government to do, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, forcing people to stay in their homes or uh, forcing people to stay in their countries. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's obvious, right? Of course, Asia, as, as Andrew just mentioned, Italy at 76% in support of closing the borders because they understand what it means and how important it could be because they're still in the thick of things in those countries. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting when you look at the, the numbers, uh, you know, more broadly, because we have obviously asked a lot been asking a lot about all of these things. And, and uh, right now, if you come to a place like Canada, the big fear that people have is not necessarily personally becoming infected. Uh, they are worried, about half of us are worried about someone we know becoming infected, but mm. that's still only half. The big concern that people have is all of the effects that are happening out there because of what's going on. So particularly the economic effects. So the, the, um, the, the feeling that we're going to be financially imperiled by what's going on right now is stronger in Canada, for example, than the feeling that we're going to be, uh, our health is going to be imperiled. Interesting. And you look at the, uh, you know, you say at this point, so I'm, I'm guessing this increase was measured. When was the, the uh, first measure? Because uh, you would have seen it, I'm thinking, almost changing daily. 
Yeah, I think the first time we went into field on this was about a month ago. We've been tracking this for a while. And initially, I think the number I had for Canada was about four. Mm. Now, wow. now, it's, now it's up to 45. Wow. And what about uh, over, jobs too? Sorry, Daryl. What about jobs? Is that a concern as well as the economy as a whole, like individual yeah. people's jobs? Well, right now, about 29% of people in Canada are worried about their job, and that's up 10 points over the last two weeks. Incredible stuff. And how, how, does it, uh, how does it compare to other nations as far as that uh, job concern? Not as high as we're seeing, particularly in the places that are uh, you, could, you would describe as hotspots, uh, but definitely on the march. And I should say that, uh, you know, I, I track a lot of different uh, public opinion issues. Ipsos tracks a lot of things. I've rarely seen anything move as fast as this is moving. Yeah. Uh, uh, public opinion is really transforming in, in some fundamental ways as a result of what we're going through right now. What are some of the other questions that you asked that were you were able to kind of spread the question out across the world? Oh, we've been asking just about anything you can think of. For example, do you think that, uh, for example, we should be quarantining even uh, cities or towns that have uh, uh, large numbers of, uh, of, of people who are infected? And, and the numbers there are like in the, in the 70s and 80s. Um, so and uh, people are prepared to take some really aggressive action. The other thing, though, is we're seeing that people are very worried about hoarding. So that's something that's come up over the space of particularly the last week. So the, the stories that you're hearing uh, in, uh, in, in Canada about, uh, you know, running out of toilet paper, running out of certain essentials, people being concerned about that, that's now rising around the world. And the interesting thing is people know that it's not really a question of supply. They know it's a, it's a, it's a function of human behavior. So uh, the need for governments potentially or even retailers to step up and say, look, we're going to limit this so more people can have access to it, say, for example, like toilet paper, there would be a lot of public support for doing something mm. like that. Are you finding a difference uh, between the countries you surveyed when it comes to their economic standing or GDP? Are those uh, wealthier nations uh, taking a different approach than those uh, nations that might be you know, uh, third world countries? It seems to be less dependent on uh, uh, the, uh, the income or the, the level of poverty in a country and more dependent on how close you are to a place that's, that's really being affected. So, for example, if you live in uh, Vietnam, you're really concerned about this because you're so close to China. Uh, interestingly enough, in China, we actually see the numbers starting to improve, and that seems to be tracking along with the decline in the number of newly reported cases. So uh, that's, that's one example in which we're seeing a country actually kind of coming out a little bit on the other side of this. Um, but uh, in, in most places right now, it seems to be something that's coming towards us, particularly in North America. Did you dig deep into testing and whether people are you know, feeling there's enough testing being done or if they're able to get testing for themselves? We did not ask that yet, but that'll certainly be something we look at in the future. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the the health part of this is going to start to expand as we move off of, of uh, being primarily concerned about the economic impact. And, and that's what's really interesting to me in, in all of this. Uh, normally, people you know don't pay a lot of attention to the stock market, don't pay a lot of attention to the business news. They're paying a, 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 an extremely large amount of attention to that because it's actually affecting their personal finances mm-hmm. now, and it's actually affecting their jobs. The other thing is that people are increasing turning particularly to the credible media. So people are listening more to, for example, your radio show mm-hmm. uh, because they want to get the, uh, they, they want to actually understand what's going on. Although what they're really concerned about when they listen to the media is whether or not something is being over-torqued or over-hyped. 
they really want people to stick more to the facts. Yeah, fair enough. And and a great, uh, I mean, you would hope that that's what they're looking for and you would hope that's what we're giving them and, and most are as well. So thanks for joining us. Really interesting. Love always to hear about the, the polling that you're doing. It, it's fascinating. Thanks, Daryl. Thanks for having me on. That's Ipsos CEO, Daryl Bricker. I was asking him about how quickly these numbers are changing, and I just got an alert on my computer that the number of coronavirus cases around the world has tipped over the 200,000 uh, mark, wow. and that has doubled in a two-week span, um, led by countries still in Europe. And it's interesting because I'm reading here that the coronavirus uh, cases, this is from six minutes ago, in France increased uh, to uh, by 1,097 cases in 24 hours. So it's a title you don't want, uh, but mm-hmm. Italy was uh, seemed to be leading the charge, if you will. And now France, uh, obviously, on, on lockdown, and we're hearing that 100,000 uh, military and uh, police officers are enforcing a quarantine in France. So the speed at which this is growing, you have to give a tip of the hat to Ipsos because uh, to poll during these times... It's got to be tough. You're not kidding, because you're right. It does. It changes not just daily, but hourly. The numbers just are continuously growing, and people's perceptions are changing all the time. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they feel about, you know, personal f- views uh, about the, uh, the the pandemic and COVID-19 as they do more polling. But uh, we are expecting, by the way, of course, an announcement from the federal government today, potentially uh, an agreement reached with the U.S. to close the borders of both Canada and the U.S., for non-essential travel. Yeah, something we talked about yesterday. Yep. This would be the essential. You the truckers it. can still get on through. Of course. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, I, call, I was saying, you know, I was shocked. You can still get food. You could still get the deliveries. Mm-hmm. But these are travelers and people wanting to visit family and friends and non-essential business. Maybe right. you have a meeting from Houston to Calgary. Put the brakes on that. Let's get the essentials to our people and to the people in the USA. Extreme times, uh, extreme measures, I would think. Government yesterday, if you did not hear, the or excuse me, the province of Alberta declaring a state of public health emergency. And really what that is, is it gives the province more power and more access to money. It's not meant to scare people. It just gives them a greater ability to try and control things, right? So uh, it does mean further restrictions, though. It looks like um, mass gatherings now limited to no more than 50 attendees. There's lots involved in it. And in fact, uh, we can get a a bit of an update uh, this morning from Global National Correspondent Mike Armstrong. He joins us now. We're talking specifically, Mike, good morning to you. We're talking specifically about Alberta, but uh, different uh, things going on across the country. We've got three provinces now that have declared states of emergency. Yeah, and uh, the federal government has been avoiding doing that. Uh, It's been quite interesting. There's Yesterday, cabinet ministers were referring to it as the Emergencies Act, referring to it as a uh, last resort, saying they hope they don't need the powers that that grants. They hope they don't have to enact it, but it is something they're considering as well. And that would give them the power to, for example, limit movement and shut down communities to flatten the curve that way. You know, I know where uh, reports are that we're going to be talking about the... Uh essential travel uh, only being accepted between the U.S. and Canada. We'll hear that announcement in the next 45 minutes, and we'll take it here live on the morning news. Is is that what you're hearing, that uh, regular old travelers can't make their way across the border, but it'll have to be deemed as essential? And well, I guess we'll figure out what that is. I have sources saying that that deal is done, uh, that Canada and the U.S. have been working on it for days and will announce it this morning. Mm-hmm. When it's announced, it will be very much presented as a mutual decision. Canada and the U.S. have agreed to this. Um, there was a great importance to making sure that the relationship with Washington is protected through this, and there is strain there. Also, to make sure that the 
White House isn't upset in all of this, so it'll be very much a mutual decision. But the Deputy Prime Minister, for example, yesterday talked about how, improve, how important it is to keep the supply lines running, uh, how much important food goes across the border, medicine, even labor on a daily basis. Closing the border is extremely complicated. Uh, for example, you've got Point Roberts um, in Washington State where you have to travel into Canada to get back into the States. Campobello Island, New Brunswick, where you have to travel into Maine to get back into New Brunswick. Even ambulances have to go across that. That's the only road access into that part of New Brunswick. So it is extremely complicated and delicate shutting that border, but we're expecting that announcement this morning. Mike, do you think that it will have uh, any impact as well on the, you know, the four now airports we know where international travel will go through, the only four across the country? Will there be some further limits, do you think, that way as well? I think the biggest impact on those airports is likely to be the fact there are just going to be fewer aircraft in the air. I mean, um, there are not going to be many Canadians, for example, in Portugal. So there will not be regular f flights from there. That's one of the reasons the Prime Minister has been saying for days, if you are outside the country, come home now before it's too late. We're hearing of um, WestJet, Air Canada, parking parts of their fleets Regular routes are just not going to be serviced. Are you hearing anything else about economic aid to Canadians uh, from the uh, federal government? Yeah, we're hearing... Um, well, we're going to hear from the Prime Minister this morning. Mm -hmm. His big announcement will likely be the border. Mm -hmm. When he's done, the finance minister is going to speak, and we're expecting details on this uh, $27 billion emergency aid package. Uh, it's going to ha sort of have two phases, it sounds like. The first part is to put money in the hands of Canadians who need it, people who have perhaps lost their jobs in this crisis because their business has closed down or even gone out of business, people who are self-employed, as well as part-time workers who right now aren't working and therefore won't qualify for EI down the road. They're trying to help people out with that. The other part of it will likely be some of that $27 billion set aside to help the economy as we wind down or... or get out of this crisis to help stimulate the economy and get things going again. It's been interesting, though, the Prime Minister has talked about right up until last week saying we have everything we need as far as powers uh, to do what we want to do, to get money to Canadians to help them out. But yesterday we started to hear that they're looking at recalling Parliament to pass new legislation to help um, give them new powers. I don't think we'd heard that before. Mm -hmm. And it's quite interesting because in this time of self-isolation, you don't want to start having MPs travel across the country. Right. So instead of having 338, they apparently need only 20 for quorum, and that would help them pass that, uh, that legislation. Well, we'll be watching for that for sure and uh, listening for the Prime Minister this morning. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Thank you. That's Global National Correspondent Mike Armstrong. And yes, the Prime Minister will speak 10.30 Eastern, so 8.30 our time. Mm -hmm. We will go to that announcement live when the Prime Minister is ready to speak. 6.41 now on your Wednesday morning. The number of cases of Americans infected with COVID-19 continues to grow. Global Washington Correspondent Reggie Cicchini joins us to break down the numbers. And we'll also talk the results of yesterday's mini Super Tuesday. Hi, Reggie. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's talk COVID to start. The U.S. passing, well, a rather frightening benchmark, the 100 mark in deaths yesterday. 
Yeah, passing the 100 mark in deaths yesterday, but also uh, surpassing a number uh, on reported cases that's on the plus side of 6,000, and that is up by roughly 2,000 in just around a 48-hour period. So it goes to show that this is a, a virus that is continuing to kind of spiral almost out of control across the country, and it's raising more questions as to when more broad-based testing is going to take place, despite the fact that there are some in the administration now saying that testing shouldn't be what we focus on and we should be focusing more on self-isolating and self-quarantining and it's causing uh, a bit of a stir and a bit of uncertainty as to what people should actually be doing. I'm hearing that it's almost like an east-west divide uh, you know and uh, Reggie I'm I'm, uh, wondering if the east is finally getting it because uh, that seems to be the epicenter at this point. Well, I mean, yeah, so your east-west divide, it, it has to do with the virus that, you know, it spiked in the west in California and in Washington state. It now seems to be, uh, you know, roaring uh, uh, stronger across parts of New York state. But you're also seeing that east-west divide in how states are dealing with this. California, uh, cities like in the Bay Area, putting 7 million people into a shelter in place. Then you have Mayor Bill de Blasio in New York City saying that he's uh, potentially going to do some kind of shelter in place, asking New Yorkers to uh, kind of stay abreast of the news. But then Governor Cuomo says that he has no intention because uh, the state needs to give the approval to put any kind of quarantine mm. uh, in place. So it adds to that uh, confusion and raises questions as to why there's no federal guidelines being put into place. Yeah, difficult for people when they're already confused not to have everybody on the same page. Um, curious as to back to the testing, are there just not enough kits available or what seems to be the issue? Well, there are growing concerns and questions over testing. You know, there are reports that suggest that when the World Health Organization was uh, offering tests to the United States, they opted to go their own way and use their own testing. Uh, Dr. Burks yesterday from the uh, from the president's coronavirus task force had said that using foreign tests could potentially lead to more false positives because they weren't kind of home developed by the FDA and the CDC. Uh, you know, it, that raises questions as to whether or not that was simply the answer uh, or whether that was some kind of administration push, but there just is not enough test case, uh, test kits to be passed around. They've been promising millions of them. They're still waiting for those to be rolled out, which is why they're now leaning on state and local governments to try and deal with their own kind of testing. But remember, even if you have something like they're saying 50 or 60,000 people tested, that's simply the size of a small town in a country that is sitting with four, 350 million people. Trump administration planning to immediately turn back asylum seekers from any a nation uh, wanting to to make their way to the U.S. is that uh, in effect as we speak, or is that uh, happening today? It's 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 a it's a broader part of a conversation that will likely be announced sometime in the next 24 to 48 hours. It kind of goes along with the reporting from Global and others uh, that shows that the president is also potentially going to work with Canadian officials to close down the border in Canada to non-essential travel, uh, allowing for trade and commerce to move back and forth. Uh, the president really trying to ramp up his efforts uh, to try and contain and control who's able to get in and out of the country, given the fact that there was such a slow and such a lag uh, delayed response to dealing with this in the last couple of weeks. It's kind of all hands on deck, and they're basically throwing all pieces of spaghetti at the wall to see what's going to stick. Reggie, let's talk about the other thing that is still going on in the U.S., and that's uh, yesterday, another sort of mini Super Tuesday. Joe Biden sweeping three primaries. What does that mean for Bernie Sanders at this point? 
Well, I mean, it means that there is going to be a more difficult path for him to remain in this race. Joe Biden picking up a significant number of delegates last night, putting him kind of within that 800-ish range, 750-ish range uh, number of delegates to clinch that nomination. If Bernie Sanders decides to stay in, despite the fact that we have no more contest until the beginning of April, uh, he would need to do significantly better than he has done in almost every single state and win on the plus side of 50% in all of these states in order to kind of make himself viable it's likely not going to happen and this last night what we saw with these three wins for biden simply may have clinched him into that place uh to, to be the nominee once we get into the conventions and later on the general wow and uh, just uh, just quickly what's next on the list as far as the primaries are concerned well, I mean, it's up in the air right now because there have been so many states that have been canceling their primaries and trying to push them down the road. And April 4th, there are a couple of smaller primaries that are set to take place. The problem is we don't know uh, if the virus is going to play any kind of role or factor into that and whether or not they're going to be delayed. Georgia and Louisiana, Ohio have already had to push theirs into May and June. Uh, if schools are still going to be closed through the beginning of April around the U.S., it's hard to see uh, if any of these primaries are going to continue, particularly if we head into peak season for the coronavirus. So uh, you know, it's it's kind of looking at the calendar, but with the focus on the virus right now, uh, primaries are very slowly kind of edging themselves out of the calendar and putting themselves into back of mind. Thanks, as always, for joining us, Reggie. Appreciate your time. Thank you. That's Global Washington correspondent Reggie Cicchini. Just a reminder, we are waiting for the finance minister, federal finance minister Bill Morneau to speak. He's got a news conference scheduled for 9.15 this morning. We will go to that live once he takes the microphone. But first, 9.09, and on the morning news, happy to welcome Lori Ferguson into the program. Lori's a Calgary-based professional stand-up comic. Problem is, with her live club shows canceled due to the pandemic, she has no sh- stage to showcase her act, so she's taking matters into her own hands. Good morning, Lori. Good morning. Well, the clubs are closed, but you're here to tell us about a special show tonight <laughs> with a very special audience. Give us the details, oh. Lori. The best audience you could ever have. <laughs> I'm going to have uh, my three dogs. Well, my roommate has dogs, our combined dogs, and my two cats. And we've set up our living room like a little stage. And we're going to go live tonight and do some comedy. I have a guest spot coming down. My friend Juan Forno, he's going to come down and do five minutes as well. <laughs> it's really smart, Lori, though. You know, we have to find other ways to get our, our word out, whatever that might yeah. be. And we're hearing a lot of, the, you know, the big musicians, for example, are doing it. Um, you know, Coldplay, uh, they were on board doing sort of a, a Facebook concert yesterday. Yep. So you're, you're smart to get on board with us. And then you can share your humor with us no matter what. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I'm going to try to stay away from making jokes about what's going on. I want everyone <laughs> to think about other stuff, you know? Love it. You know, Laura, you go yeah. to a Yuck Yucks, the Laugh Shop comedy Who the cave. hell's this? Who's yeah. this? This is Andrew Schultz. <laughs> Yo, when, they, oh, when you're yeah, on stage, I know, I know you know who the hell's this? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you're dodging tomatoes. Um, but you, you watch these comics, and hopefully you, you get a laugh and uh, get a bit of an escape from the world, but you think, oh, the glamorous life of a comedian. <laughs> now, if you, if you can tell us about, you know, what it means to have these shows canceled, uh, to mm. a certain extent, it Literally, it's your bread and butter every weekend or every chance you have the opportunity to get on stage, isn't it? Well, I, I work every single weekend. It's my full-time job. And so now? And now? Everything's been canceled. Everything's been canceled. What's that mean for your livelihood? Uh, it means I'm going to starve. <laughs> you <laughs> so, know, like, yeah. I mean, there's nothing coming in, right? 
is it going to be tough without a live audience? Because I know as a comedian, you know, you depend on that. You depend on being able to heckle the people in the front row or the Andrew Schultzes of the crowd, well, that sort of you thing. You haven't so- met my cat. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> She'll be heckling. But you're so- going to get some laughs? Like, how yeah. does this work? Are you going to try to have some feedback? Are you going to have a laugh track? Uh, we're thinking about maybe putting like a funny little laugh track in that's so corny that you'll know it's fake. You know, <laughs> so it's a Facebook but, Live. People will be able to communicate with you, though. Yeah, exactly. Okay. My okay. my roommate's going to do the filming, and he can look at all the comments and stuff while Juan and I are putting the show on. So, how would you describe your act to, to people saying, "Hey, you know what? Let's it clear some time." It's very pet friendly. It's a pet friendly act. <laughs> okay. Yeah, child friendly. <laughs> No. Okay. <laughs> okay. So this is this is for the adults. You say that uh, Juan's gonna have five minutes. How long is your set gonna be tonight? Well, I don't even know yet. Probably ten to fifteen minutes. So it'll probably be like half an hour, twenty minutes in total. Okay. Now, how do we find you? Did I hear a meow in the background? That is my cat Henry. <laughs> the audience is already, already heckling you. They're already She's assembling. Excited about the show. With a we got to open the bar early tonight for the animals. <laughs> okay. So um, we go to Facebook, can... and how do we find you? Facebook is just Lori Ferguson. Okay. And uh, then I also on Instagram, I'm at the real Lori Ferguson Ford. Not No, the real Lori Ferguson. Sorry. And then on YouTube, it's Lori Ferguson Ford. Ferguson Ford is one word. Okay. And Lori is L-O-R-I. So people can find you now and, yeah. uh, and, and get a little laugh because we all need it right now. Exactly. And they can friend me on Facebook. I'll accept all friend requests today. <laughs> today only from Lori. Thank you so much and good luck with the show and best of luck to you during these tough times. Appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you guys tune in and watch. Absolutely. All right. That is a local comedian, Lori Ferguson, live on Facebook. Again, Facebook.com. Search Lori Ferguson, her free show with special guests tonight, including pets, tonight at 7 o'clock.